Welcome to episode 22 of Confessions of a Casting Director, where you will hear advice, wisdom, and true stories from inside the audition room. I'm your podcast host, Jen Rudin. Today's episode features my very lively chat with Mark Tuminelli. Mark Tuminelli is the founder and director of Broadway Workshop, New York's top training program for young actors. He's also the host of his own new podcast called Little Me, Growing Up Broadway for the Broadway Podcast Network. Mark is considered one of the top acting coaches in New York, with over 60 of his students appearing on Broadway in shows including Dear Evan Hansen, The Cher Show, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, School of Rock, Anastasia, Fun Home, Matilda, Newsies, and Billy Elliot. Please welcome my friend and colleague, Mark Tuminelli, to the podcast. And... Good morning to my very good friend, Mark Tuminelli, who I have known since we met at Disney in 2009, I think. Yeah, I want to say we've known each other for at least like uh, 10 or 11 years. His name was Jason. It's Jason Trubit. That's Jason Zamet. Jason Zamet. I don't know. I think there's another Jason. That's right. <laughs> um, and you asked me to come and be a, a guest a speaker at the Broadway workshop. So, yeah. um, and then, and of course, we, we hit it off immediately because I just felt like we would have been best friends at the camp and in our childhoods um no question so familiar to me like long island italian new york jew matzo balls meatballs uh, 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 <laughs> language so mark it's so nice to have you um we're gonna do a dual thing i'm gonna be a guest on your podcast and you're a guest on my podcast, i love that which is very exciting so um uh tell us a little bit about what you do and then of course i want to hear how it all happened Sure. So um, I started Broadway Workshop in 2000. I have the e I have the um, the EIN like registered date, um, which is October 2007, um, because I'm applying for every loan you can right now, and so I know all of that information off the top of my head. So um, I. I started Broadway Workshop. I was an actor. I was a child actor. I was a, uh, a 20s actor and I did all those regional jobs and things like that. And then um, I had a sort of big job loss. I had done Gypsy with Patti LuPone in Chicago um, and then thought I would be doing it on Broadway. Um, Jay Binder told me I was doing it on Broadway. And then the day the offers came, I did not have an offer. Did they have a, did they have, I mean, that's a, did they, that's a real moment story that you're never going to forget. Did, did, was there a reason? Were you too short? Were you no, too I'm, I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you the reason, which I've not said on any podcast, but I don't care anymore. It's like the end of days. Um, the, my agent called me and he said, uh, they don't have an offer for you. The musical director's boyfriend is playing Yonkers. Oh, okay. That was my part. So um, I was out. And um, none of our cast, only one person in our whole cast other than Patty Lapone, who is our dance captain, continued with the show. Um, so it was just Patty and her. Um, and everybody else was let go completely. I thought I was going to be the other exception to the rule, but I was not. So um, that was like a big awakening moment for me. I was like, this is not happening. And if it is, and I don't want to continue to do it. So my love for it was diminishing at a very quick rate. Um, and then Brighton Beach happened on Broadway and Broadway Bound, they did that back yes, to back. Yes, I remember. I, I saw a, it for the yes, one week. You saw the one yeah. part of it, um, and which was a big disaster. But I had done that show everywhere, all three of them. And so that didn't happen. And after that, I was like, I think I have to put both feet in this business 
that I'm starting because part of it was I couldn't sit with a casting director on a Sunday morning and teach a workshop and then the next day go audition for them. It was so, to me, they were two different things that I didn't want to try to sell. And so I was fine just stepping out and putting everything to Broadway Workshop and creating a real business. And how long were you doing Broadway Workshop and still auditioning? Because that's like two jobs. Pretty I want to say for maybe a year, maybe the first year, maybe a year and a half. But the first year of Broadway Workshop, I also was ushering on Broadway. I was teaching at the Random Farms Kids Theater in Westchester. I was teaching for Camper. I was teaching everywhere. Um, and so I was, you know, you can't just start a business and think you can, unless you're, you know, you have a lot of financial stability, you can't just do that. You have to still do other things. So there was about two and a half years where I always had another job. And then I was at a place where I, there were these little moments where I would say, if I could only just have do Broadway workshop, and then I could just do Broadway workshop. If I could only have an assistant two days a week, and then an assistant two days, if I could only have an office, and then we had an office, you know what I mean? So there are all these like benchmarks that happen throughout the process that, um, you know, as you build a business, it doesn't, you don't start, some people have to do that. They start a company and they have to be there 24 hours a day and they're making no money and they're having loans and they're living off savings. That wasn't what I could do at the age of 26 is when I, right? 30? I don't know how old I am in 2007. I'm 27. So at the age of 27, I couldn't figure, I couldn't do that yet. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting launching a small business, which is your dream. You know, I was on staff at Disney for seven years and it was all great an expense account, assistant, and somebody to come fix your computer. And then boom, I got laid off in the recession in 2009. And thankfully you were one of the people that still had me come, you know, be a guest. And so Jen Rudin casting, same thing, employee identification mm -hmm. number became an LLC. Shout out to Jason Bercy from Bercy Talent yeah. um, and Eric Faber, may he rest in peace, who both were small management companies who said like, this is how you do it Jen go to legal zoom so what did you do you remember um like now that you have this business that's been up and running and and really successful like if you could tell your 27 year old self some one piece of advice <laughs> like, knowing what you know now and let's forget COVID for just a minute right. back to like the Shrek Jr and all your shows yeah and, yeah I think what I would tell myself is that it's going to be bigger than you would have imagined and that you have to be ready for everything that's going to happen and if you don't love it, you should stop. Totally. Uh, I think those are things that I have to keep reminding myself that like, I'm very lucky. Yes. Uh, you know, not taking COVID aside, that there are days where it's just a lot of work. We do a lot of programs that I do for artistic purposes that don't bring in a lot of money. We, um, we are, we are do, we're balancing a lot of things. Having a staff is very difficult. There, is, there are payroll taxes and there are bookkeeping expenses and there are things that you just never think of. Offering health insurance, those are not what I was put on the earth to figure out. Right. Of a state farm and this policy and that policy, that is not, I'm an artistic soul. I can create amazing experiences for young people. I can direct shows that come off like they're off-Broadway musicals. These are things I'm good at. What I'm not great at is dealing with loans and paperwork and documents and insurance and claims and things like that. And so I would tell that younger self to be ready for that as much as you can because you can't have 
this one side without the other side. Yeah, totally. I remember like I, I got laid off and then literally the next day started casting Frankenweenie for Disney animation. And it's I remember- movie, Jen. Wait, oh, Thank you, nobody saw it, but I was proud I of it. it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I remember that feeling where I had to buy a lavalier wireless mic. I had to get cameras. I had to get a tripod. And at the, at the time I hadn't set up that separate Citibank business account yet. So I felt personally like this was my money and I don't have any money and here it's going right for this. But it was the initial investment. Investment. Now it's it's almost 11 years later and I'm like a separate credit card, separate bank account. Here's how I do my invoicing. I've learned a lot as well and on the technical side, but in those early moments, I just remember being like, I am literally, you know, paying for Endeavor Studios to do these, you know, six weeks of casting. But let's get back to Broadway Workshop. I'm in an elevator with you. Uh, in a beautiful place, not at Ripley, not at Pearl. And I meet you and I say, hi, I'm Jen Rudin. Who are you and what, what's Broadway Workshop? Give me your elevator pitch for our listeners. Well, I'm Mark Tuminelli. I own a company called Broadway Workshop. We do classes, workshops, camps, productions, and intensives and student group experiences for kids all around the world. We've had over 70 kids on Broadway in the last 11 years. And uh, we try to create the most uh, exciting, elevated experiences for young people who love the theater. That's amazing. And I am blown away every time I go to an Excel like a presentation in the summer and I'm like, there are like 95 people here. There are thousands of kids taking this. And <laughs> now um, we're not going to talk about any of the competing like, uh, you know, Broadway Alliance and all those other places. Well, then I, don't mention that. So how, how did you start to get the word out? I mean, were you taking out ads on Playbill.com? No, I was very lucky because I had a very loyal core group of kids that I had been working with at the ran. I will, we will talk about Random Farms. Sure, kids that's there. fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I love them so much. Um, Anya Wallach, who runs that program, was my Jason Bercy and your story, um, where she was like, you can do this. You, you are so good. You should have this. She was so inspiring to me. And Anya started Random Farms when she was 16 in her basement right. on Random Farms Drive in Westchester in Chappaqua. And um, so she really inspired me and educated me on the things I needed to do. And so, um, you know, the, 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 all the things that we've come up with in all of our programming is just, you know, the goal is that we're just creating these experiences and some of them are amazing and you learn on the job and you do the things. And so I didn't, um, I didn't model it after another business. I created the things that I wanted to do as a kid. And so there are a billion programs now that do exactly what we do. And literally every day, a new one just started this week to try to jump in on this online market. I mean, this is what's happening. And I just have to always remember to try to stay in my lane. And sometimes that's hard to do, but stay in my lane and remember that my product is so much stronger than some of these other programs because I really am not in it for the money. The money is a byproduct. And of course I do have to pay bills and I have to make it work, but I'm in it for these kids experience. And if, if I feel like I'm doing anything that feels shady or it feels like it's not in the kid's best interest, then I can't actually do it. It gives me a stomachache. No, so, no, no. That's great. Yeah. And you're so genuine and so warm and, um, and, and, you know, kind to the kids, which I feel like in this, in this really, you know, terrible, scary, horrible business, um, we, we are both kind. Somebody called me casting director for the people at some point, And I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cause I have a heart. I mean, I'm firm and, but polite, but I care, you know, because I went through it, um, you know, when I was a child. So, um, but, but still, but back to how did you build, I mean, like you got the word out and you just, your pet, you got kids coming and signing up and yeah, that following from random farms was really the core. So they started taking, they started my first workshop. 
this is where I'm very lucky. Laura Bell Bundy was someone I knew through someone and I had sent an email. This is during Legally Blonde on Broadway. And um, I was like, would you be willing to teach a workshop from this company I'm starting? I will give you half of the proceeds of the workshop to your charity. She had a charity then. And um, the other half I'm going to use to cover the expenses of you know, what I was doing, the workshop, and I don't care if I make any money. Mm -hmm. It was just, let's do a workshop with the the person that these kids can't wait, wait to work with the most. And so we did like three of those. And Laura was so lovely to come and do that on a Sunday morning before a two-show Sunday day of Legally Blonde. And that really was the thing that started. I didn't start with this little class that I was teaching. I started in a big way. Playbill did an article about it because it was, a you know, the first thing. I also announced it like Christmas week where there is no Broadway news. And so Playbill ran the story. We obviously sold out that workshop in one second. We added two more of those. And then I asked Ashley Brown, who's Mary Poppins at the mm -hmm. time to teach a workshop before her Sunday matinee. And she said, yes. And then that's how it started happening. So Laura Bell really kicked it off. And then the kids came, this was before Instagram, but the kids came because I was announcing you know, these sort of big Broadway stars. And, you know, the whole business was always one parent telling another parent, sitting in the hallway at Ripley Greer, or one parent emailing another parent. And so that was it. I never really spent, one year I spent money on Google AdWords, which I don't suggest. And, um, but other than that, I've never done really any advertising. I've taken out like a small ad here and there and a big Apple parent and things like that. But we have found that that has never been successful for Broadway workshop as a business. It's all word of mouth. And I have to say, you know, you are quoted, you're in, I think you're, you're probably quoted in my book, but you're certainly listed as a resource in my book because I feel like there is so, there's so many programs out there. And whenever somebody asks me, I'm like, please go to Broadway workshop. Like he is great. And also the classes are full, but they're not um, like some of, you know, some other <laughs> ones where I, I want, taught a class where it was from one to four which to me is too long and the kids Correct. were ages seven to 21 and I said to myself first of all, I got a migraine but I was like I can't there's it's wrong you need to split the kids by age and so one of the things I've always enjoyed about being a guest at your workshops is that not only are the kids split by age but it's super organized with the name tags but you also understand that the needs of an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old are going to be totally different from what a 16-year-old wants to do it's something I see so much now that I do not understand at all nine and up nine and up to what eight and up like you cannot do a class that way. And so we have a four to five year max age range in everything we do. So um, we, if we're doing like the younger kids, it's really eight to 12-ish. And then it's either 13 through 16 or 14 through 19. I break it up like that. I break up our camps like that. I break up our classes. I in, an, uh, in a personal class, we never have more than 16. On our online classes right now, we don't have more than eight. Um, and these are things I'm really proud of because the experience in the class is unmatched. You cannot be, if I was an eight-year-old and I saw a 20-year-old in a class, I'd be so worried, I would never be able to perform. And if I was a 20-year-old and I see a 10 or 11-year-old in the class, I'm gonna feel like an idiot. That is not how edgy, like learning works. The same reason why you don't go to school and sit in a classroom with a senior and a freshman. Yeah. I mean, on an occasion, there's a program that's like that, but you, um, you really need to be around kids your age in order to expose. We're asking young people to sing and act and tell stories, um, which makes them what I always say, like crack open a little bit. And you just don't feel comfortable doing that with someone who is not around your age. And I think that is why we have so many kids 
because they can feel, you can feel what that difference is. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I wouldn't love to sell 32 spaces in a workshop. It's just, I can't do that and maintain the integrity of the program. Right. And also to me, so much of it is about getting an opportunity to actually stand up there and do the work. Right. And when you're in this big class with you're sitting there, it's like acting classes. I used to take at HP studios. Like never got to, not that I was good at acting, but, um, but I never got to, you, you, you want the kids to be able to, to have sung twice or done their scene twice and actually gotten some time up there to work as opposed to sitting there watching everybody else. Cause that's when, that's when everybody is loses interest. So I think that personal connection, um, now you're so good with the kids. How did you, fall into, I mean, teaching kids, because it really takes, you know, it takes you, you know, I feel like when I'm working with kids or teaching my classes, I, and, and directing them and casting teachers, I speak to them like they're people, not like they're, you know, Correct. like, and I think a, that's a, why you're so good, right? Yeah. I speak to them like, because people spoke to me like that when I was a child actor, and the ones who spoke to me like I was a young adult or a grown up, I still friendly with today. But, but how did you get into that? Like the ability to connect with the kids on the level that you do? I am, um, first of all, Jen, you are so good at that too. Um, I feel that's, that's why I love having you at Broadway Workshop. You just, you talk to them in such a way where they feel like adults. They feel like they're being taken seriously, but you're giving them great feedback. So bravo to you too about having that skill. Um, for me, I started working for a company and I had to go on tour with them, working with kids in different cities. Oof. <laughs> it actually was so fun. Um, it wasn't so bad. And I had a younger group. So I had eight to maybe 11 or 12. And um, I used to create such a fun dynamic in my group that at the end of the week, we would all cry. And it was just because I was being fun with them. I was being like, um, not like a parent, um, but like an older sibling where, you know, I'd be like, oh my God, that, that person's nuts. Like we need to like go over there. Like I would create fun ways that we would have fun throughout the day that were not about um, necessarily singing or dancing, where we would just like be talking about lunch and be like, what do you have? That looks so gross. So I'd be talking to them like, you know, like a friend would, um, but they knew I was in charge and we would, you know, like I was being silly. So they were being silly. It was just like a very easy experience. And I took to it and I liked doing it. And then, so as I worked and I coached and I taught at Random Farms, I, you know, sort of keep the energy up. They can tell I want to be there. They can tell I care. Um, and they also can tell I'm not weird. Like, I don't want to know anything about their lives in a real way. I don't want them to touch. Like, I don't want to hug them. I just sort of want to help them. They know I care. And they know I know a lot about what I'm talking about. Um, and that I'm invested in that they're the best that they can be. And I think you can't uh, not feel that when someone is genuine about it and they actually care and they actually know what they're talking about. And that is, those are the people that I liked the most when I was a kid working, people who treated me with respect, um, were funny and fun, made it seem like it, this is their off time. They shouldn't, it shouldn't feel like they're Nazi Germany. It should feel so fun for them and that you keep bringing the class back to a group experience. What did you guys all see that was different between that first one and the second one? So they're not just sitting there. Um, That's really great. Like that. and, and also, I feel like you're taking a level of the competition uh, away because we all know this is very competitive. And I've certainly been at your workshops and then I've, I've called in people for auditions and maybe yeah. there's one or two that come to Disney Channel auditions. And, you know, you're, you're managing a, a very competitive business for kids. So what is your, and we'll, we'll touch for a minute a bit about the parents because they, they have, that's half the reason why I wrote my book, you know. Um, how do you deal with competition when you see it happen? 
happening, whether it's in your shows or somebody doesn't get a part or, you know, I'm just asking because it's, I feel like this, this, um, the rejection and the, and the competition was so difficult for me personally. So I just, what is your perspective a, on that? It's a harder thing for a younger person when you're a teenager, by then you kind of know the road a little bit. Um, and so they tend to be easier about it. You know, they just get the, they understand, but when they're actually in the class that you taught last in Broadway workshop, one of my favorite things happened ever. Oh no. Um, <laughs> is that, no, a kid sang a song from a musical and another kid was like, I'm on tour in that show. And then that kid said, well, I turned down that tour. And it was just like two nine-year-old boys kind of having a pissing contest. And it was so uncomfortable for me. And I was like, you're all stars, be quiet. And we move on. Those kids don't know yet what they're saying. They don't know the impact of that. I turned down that part, you know, something that would happen in Valley of the Dolls happening with these <laughs> nine and 10 year olds. Um, or the, you know, we hear it. I auditioned for that. They didn't want me because I'm two inches too tall. That's why you got it. Like I've literally heard things like that. And I was like, uh, all right, we're not talking about that. You know, like I'll cut it off. That's amazing. And redirect them as you have to yes. with kids when they're having like a temper tantrum or something. And sometimes I'll say a nicer way to say is like, oh my God, that show sounded so good. I would have loved to have been in that. You know what I mean? And you can go home and tell your mother or your friends, this girl got it because of whatever you think. And a lot of times I say she got it because she got it. You know, like that's it. Um, you know? That's such a great, yeah, no, it's true. And, and I think that that helps. And I love that it was two boys and not two girls. Cause the, <laughs> the stereotype is, you know, two girls, you know, cat fight in the waiting room. Yes. And, and I, uh. I <laughs> I remember those boys. And I always say like, there's less boys in the business. So if you have a, a young boy that is interested, please go get involved because yes. you might get a job sooner than anybody else. Well, like instant. We had, we had a boy in a class this fall and he's very talented. And um, I set him up with an agent and she sent him out to the Lanking audition and booked it the next day. I mean, it happened all in seven days. It's incredible. And I was like, gonna, yeah. And I was gonna ask you, like, let's let's share like that that moment. I mean, we we can talk about Andrew Feldman for sure. I mean, sure. you know, uh, which is a great success story. But what was the moment for you, like that Lion King story, where you're like, I am doing God's work, and this is I am making kids' dreams come true. Like, is there is there another moment you can share where that that moment happened? Because I feel like for us, certainly in casting, those are the most fulfilling moments where we go, He's perfect for this and then he gets it, and then, you know, I can go to sleep knowing I've, I've made somebody's dreams come true that day. I mean, it happens, it happens often, you know, it'll also be in conjunction with, you know, their agents and managers, but um, with Michaela Diamond and Cher, Pat Goodwin said, do I have anyone who's super interesting who could play Babe and Cher? And I suggested Michaela, I'm sure her agents also submitted her and all that, but she booked it, you know, and it's, uh, and Pat told me that, like we, we were part of that process, which was so exciting. I mean, she is one of the most talented young people I've ever worked with. Um, and so there was no doubt that she would be um, an enormous star at some point, um, but it was fun to see that happen. Um, Andrew's story sort of happened separately and we can mm -hmm. talk about that. Yeah. But there's just been ton, tons of kids that have, um, Ruthie who's on um, Sydney to the Max, is that the name of that show? Um, she was in our Junior Excel program she got her agent from that showcase and then um, booked School of Rock and now is on, has her own show on Disney Channel. Yeah. You know, it's just she came some, in for us for yes. Disney Channel and that's how, so that was, yeah, it's, that's amazing. They're all, you know, and there, there are so many kids that, 
um, Kate Reese is another kind of huge success. She was just in Harry Potter. She just booked an enormous TV job. She's been in a ton of TV shows and a few big movies. And she was in our Bring It On. Um, and uh, her agent saw her in our production of Bring It On. And, um, oh no, and our production of Legally Blonde, two years before our Bring It On, and or three years, and brought her into the company. And then she'd been booking and booking. We just have a lot of stories like that, yeah. that a casting has seen a kid in a Broadway workshop show um, or at our showcase um, that we do as a free event every year with Random Farms. And uh, they book within two seconds. It's, it's really quick once it starts to happen. Yeah, and I think it's quick too, Mark, because as we know with children, it's there's a very short amount of time, right? There's that beautiful moment when you're a nine-year-old boy, and then before you know it, you're 13, right? And the voice, yeah. I'm, I do so much animation casting, so I'm very attuned to like, and then the voice changes, and I'm always looking to find that 10-year-old boy with texture for voices. But there's a, there's a small amount of time, right, before they outgrow it or get too big or it gets, it gets awkward. But I always feel like you welcome everybody into your program, whether or not they're going to be a Broadway star or they just enjoy it and live in Kansas City. And this is what they're doing for the summer to come to New York and be part of the workshop. You know, it's all, it's all over the map. We have more, we have the best teenagers on the planet do Broadway workshop. I have more teenagers. Most companies that you'll talk to who do what I do um, will say that they don't, that's their, that's their lacking part. I have so many teenagers and part of the reason why I do have so many teenagers at Broadway workshop is because they um, come to do our main stage productions, which are really big deals. And there's no little kids in them. There's not an eight year old in the show too. It's just high school. It's really 14, thir some 13s, but mostly 14 through 18 or 19. And so we have so many of those teenagers around. There is this little window where you can work really as a kid and it kind of starts at like six and it goes to like 12. Everybody knows that situation. Um, but we have a lot of teenagers that actually work also still. Nick Barish was a great example yeah. um, who was in She Loves Me. Um, and you know he worked through high school and he was also in um, Edwin Drood on Broadway. He worked, you know, like he worked a lot in high school. Kate, you know, there, there are kids that do work through high school. It's not an Rachel impossibility. Rechef. Rachel, oh my God, yeah. Rachel. Rachel's an amazing success story. Um, you know, six or seven Broadway shows. I lost count at some no, point. She was my podcast guest a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, you're like 19 years old and giving this very profound wisdom. Oh, she's <laughs> the, one of the smartest people I know. Yeah. Um, and we're still very close. But she did our showcase when she was six or seven and she sang Honey Bun. She was like confused and adorable and chubby and like just a little chipmunk. And she booked Shrek like within five months of that, I think three months of that showcase. Um, and I worked with her consistently and she did our main stages. That's the other thing, these kids go, like Presley Ryan is a great example, who was just the star of Beetlejuice and just did my last episode of my podcast, the Little Me podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs> um, but um, you know, Presley had done Fun Home on Broadway and I didn't know her then. And then she came to me and was our Wednesday in Adam's Family when we did that as a junior main stage. And she did our production of Emma and then she was in Beetlejuice and she's still very yeah. involved, you know? Yeah. So, um, and she works all the time too. So there are exceptions to this. I'm in high school. I'll never work again. But the, what I try to do is say, just come work, just train, just do your thing. Whether you do with me, you do at your high school, you can do this for your whole life. You can be a child actor. It's the only job in the world that there's a child version of. You can't be like a child lawyer, can be a child dentist, just doesn't exist. So you could be a child actor for these little chunk of years, but you can be an actor for the rest of your life. So 
come and take class and be in a show and do your crappy school show if it's bad or do your great school show if it's good. Just keep working because you could do this forever, but you also can use these skills to do anything. I mean, I'm not doing exactly what I set out to do, but I'm certainly using every theatrical skill I ever learned to do my job. Um, the same way if you were a CEO of a company and you have to go on these meetings or you have to sell a product, this is all, I do a lot of sales training too. I work with adults, um, with a bunch of companies with a different company and I have a business partner on that, but we work with sales executives and advertising executives that are 30, 40, 50, and they are, they need these theatrical skills to better be on a phone call, to better engage with people. These are all the things you learn in the theater. So it's like there is no better training for life. No, I think that's great. And it's also inspiring to show that, you know, they call it the dead zone or whatever, the dead when you're turned 13. Certainly my, my manager was like, I don't like to work with 13-year-old girls because it's an awkward age. You know, the shorter you are, the more roles you'll book. And it's like, okay, well, that being said, that's not going to set me up for like a happy like eighth and ninth grade. Um, and I love that you can still be in a show and you could still do shows and have the place to perform and, and, and be creative and not just be, you know, sullen and, you know, going through adolescence. So that's really, that's really a wonderful gift. Um, talking a little bit about your childhood, because you'd mentioned earlier, and this is therapy now, um, <laughs> you had said like, you know, I, this is what I would have wanted when I was a child. So what did you not have in terms of training? I know you went to use Dan, right? No, I didn't. Um, oh, you didn't I didn't do any, I had, I've never, I've never really had much training. Um, so I grew up in Bayside, Queens, and then Long Island. And it was about fourth or fifth grade where it was very clear my interest was beyond what a normal kid's interest would be in singing and dancing anyway. And I always danced in the living room, and I put on my Debbie Gibson cassette and like would create full dance pieces to full Debbie Gibson albums. Um, She's my favorite, and um, or Madonna at the time. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So you could tell, oh my God, this kid's gay and he needs to perform. Um, and so we would find, you know, my mom was totally not versed in the theater at all. And my dad was a little bit. And so um, we moved to Long Island and I started to do like community theater. And I went to, I used to go to Catholic school and then I went to a public regular public school in Port Washington, New York. And I, uh, they had, they did shows and they did a dance concert and they did all these things. And so I started to get involved in the community theater. And then I was like very good in that. And no one, uh, I would go to an audition and someone would come out of the room the way I do now and be like, what is the story with your son? He's so good. Does he have representation? Is he? And so someone kind of started that for me. And, um, you know, I went, started to go to some auditions and book little things. And um, then when I was 11 or 12, they had an open call for the, for Les Mis on Broadway and the national tour. And this is where it all coming back together. And Debbie Gibson was going to be there because she had just <laughs> finished her run as Eponine. And um, she was going to Hofstra University to sit through a day of auditions of kids. And so I saw that in Newsday and I made my grandfather, a deaf World War II vet, take me to Hofstra University. And I, we sat there all day and I went in and I sang for Debbie Gibson and Richard J. Alexander and there was someone else there. And I had my Sound of Music music book and I sang my favorite things, which was like the only song I had sheet music to. And um, I got called back and I got to like chat with Debbie Gibson and whatever. And I, the news like interviewed me. And so that was like the moment where my parents were like, 
oh, he's like actually very good. I remember calling my dad on the rotary phone at my grandma's house after and be like, they want me to come back to New York to have like a real audition. Wow. What a beautiful story. Yeah, it was good. I had a real audition. And then they asked my family if I was interested in going on tour, which was not a possibility for my family. And so that was the end of that one. But I have to say about the heartbreak with the tour. So, um, and I feel like that's something, you know, obviously you've gotten over it, but for me, it was Brighton Beach Memoirs. So I think I had a possibly was on hold or there was an offer to go on tour. And my mother said, um, I can't, you know, I can't take you on tour. We live in New York city. If they like you so much, you can do it on Broadway. And I was like a budding casting director. And I said to her, but if I do well on tour, maybe they would move me to Broadway. So I didn't go on tour. My mother had a book contract. We have my older sister. We didn't go on tour. And my heart, you know, I still think about that feeling lying in bed at night going, I'm not going to get to play this part. Um, And of course, the two girls, the one girl who was the understudy, literally they moved her to Broadway when the tour was done and she did it until she outgrew the dress. Like, (laughs) and I was, you know, sort of, it's hard about jealousy because it's one of those emotions. And I was so jealous because even though Years later, I interned for Meg Simon, who basically, I wasn't really that Jewish Neil Simon feel that they wanted, but just to get that close and to know that there was that possibility and that I didn't get it. And, you know, what happened on the tour, you know, everyone's sleeping with everybody else, like a lot of drinking, like the things that maybe my mother didn't want me exposed to at 12, but I was like, but, but so I I don't know how much I mean I'm sure there was I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't too wild on the Brighton Beach memoirs tour right compared to the Les Mis tour Um, I mean people's marriages I mean I've heard so many stories but yeah so that's that's some heartbreak I mean for sure but I I get it and it's like we talk about tour all the time in fact there's a chapter the stage parents chapter in Confessions of a Cast Director I interviewed like all these parents who are on tour and the stories that they shared you know you want to make your kids dreams come true but you have another child at home you know how do you make it work I mean um, Sophie Dora, uh, uh, Jennifer Tolchin is interviewed in my book. You know, she had, you know, B was on Billy Elliot and then she had to go home and there are all these challenges to try to make it work. So I understand if the two Minnellis couldn't take you. Yeah, no, it was not. Tour really, let's be honest, tour works if you have one kid, um, if you're very wealthy um, or, you know, if you can really, you're, you have to be a real hustler because it's like grandma goes out for a week. Dad goes out for a week. Mom goes out for a week. The brother, it's so hard. And I don't, you know, like if I was a parent, I would never, I would never let that happen. I totally agree. Unless I was, if there was another kid, no way ever. Right. And also the the thing I found about tour is that, um, you know, Monday is the day off. Well, that's the travel day and you're connecting through Chicago's Midway Airport. It's not like it's restful. It's fun for the kids and stressful. I could never. I think if you can make it happen for your kid, certainly six months on the road, it's going to be a crazy life experience. And if you can make it happen, I always tell parents, you know, look at the big picture. Can you do it? Um, So many parents call me when they get an offer for something with a million questions they're afraid to ask their agent or their manager. I'm like, that's legitimately their job, but um, I'm happy to do it for no money. Um, But um, you know, I'm like, look at the big picture. If you can make it work for six months, I think it would be an incredible life experience. And if you can't, then don't go crazy doing it. Like there'll be another opportunity. Your kid will never forgive you and they'll bring it up at Thanksgiving in 2047 and you'll all laugh about it. Like that. Now speaking about the parents, I mean, obviously uh, people have asked me if I would become a manager and I mean, have have the parents said, 
you please manage my child? Like, how do you- I mean, once a week, someone asked me to be a manager. I'm not a manager. It's not my job. I don't want to do that. Um, I'm very lucky as far as parents are concerned. I don't really attract crazy town parents, partly because I don't have room for it and that they're- the way I handle myself at work. I don't think that I scream out like, this is someone you could call in the middle of the night. Um, Or that I'm saying, my job here is to take care of your kids. See you later, bye parents. And I kick them out and they'll, and I will correspond with them via email. And of course I'll talk to the phone with parents about, you know, certain situations, but um, I just don't attract them in the same way. And when I leave a rehearsal, there is maybe one or two parents sitting out in the hallway um, when for my teenagers, there are no parents anywhere to be found. I often don't know who people's parents are um, because they trust me. They trust the people that I work with. That we are take there. They can tell. You can tell in five seconds whether this company is taking care of your kids or not. So parents who are listening, really soak that up. Um, and if you feel like they're not taking care of your kids, they're probably not, and you should probably stick around. But um, so I don't attract these crazy parents. That doesn't mean I haven't had them. Um, and it's sort of about how you manage them, how you say like, you're being a little crazy, give them a day, stage management will get in touch with you or present it this way. It's the same way I talk to my friends who are actors who are like, I'm freaking out, I haven't heard about this. I'm like, well, call your manager and say this, this, this. And so it's sometimes it's so common sense, but you know, they need the therapist to bounce it off of. It's a lot to, it's a lot to be in charge of when it's not about you. So you're telling me that you have to advocate for your kid who's 10 years old in a Broadway show, who's not getting a put in rehearsal, who has been left alone in the theater or who has had a really scary or bad experience as part of this show. And you can't advocate for them because it's gonna make you sound crazy. And the person you want to advocate for them is their manager who has no real idea what's going on. Like it is a lose-lose situation. So you hope that you're on a show where they really take care of the kids. Um, You hope you're on a show where your kid is treated well. You hope you're on a show with other kids because sometimes that makes a really big difference. And you hope you're on a show without other crazy stage parents that are meddling and getting involved. And on tour, you can't avoid that because you are in a hotel with these kids. Sometimes you're sharing rooms with other parents and kids. Sometimes the kid who's making your kid's life a living hell is in the next room you cannot avoid that. Right. The boundaries so, are just nuts on tour. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. You know, you're, you're problem solving all the time, which is, um, which is, which is your job um, because you are in charge of all those children, kids, children. Yes. <laughs> um, so in closing, you know, what's, uh, what's the dream shows you want to see uh, the company do? What do you want to direct? What are your dreams? Well, the main stage is my favorite thing of the year. It's like my, where my heart's at. I spend the whole year working on it. And then I direct the main stage and that is for high school kids only our junior main stage, someone else directs and I do produce it and I care a lot about it, but the main stage is my baby. So we were in, um, the, uh, we were, had just finished staging our entire production of Chicago, which I've been dying to do for a long time. And then obviously the situation with COVID-19 hit and we are currently on Chicago hold and we're figuring out what the next steps of that will be. The problem is I can't just move it to the fall because so many of our students are seniors and they'll Uh be gone. And so it's a, it's a daily battle figuring out what happens with that show. So I would love to see that happen. Honestly, if it doesn't happen with these kids, it won't, I'm not going to do it again with different kids. It's like, it's this or 
bust. Um, there are things that I would love to do that we don't have, we can't get quite yet. Um, I would love to do Amelie, which I think is quite a beautiful score. And I saw it in London and they reworked it and it's very beautiful. I'd love to do that show. I would love to um, do Waitress at some point. I would, you know, it's partly what I would love to do and what these kids are going to be excited to do. So it's not just, oh, I love this show, we should do it. You know, I love Fun Home, but we'll never do it. Um, so there are, there are things that, you know, are not quite released yet. There are things that I um, would love to put my stamp on, but we'll see if we get them or if they become available. Um, there's not like a ton of things that right now I'm like jumping at, you know, doing, but um, they'll... It, they'll become available. We'll do it. I'd love to do a crazy cool SpongeBob with our younger kids. Um, I've gotten to do a lot of things I love, like a sweet charity, which isn't going to be that exciting to these kids. They don't know that show we did three years ago, and it was one of our best main stages. Um, Carrie was one of our best main I stage remember. experiences. Yeah. So we have starring Rachel Russia, um, and so there are there's lots of things that I've checked off the bucket list. You know, I'd love to do a crazy cool Titanic. I don't know if that will ever happen. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm hopefully optimistic about the shows that become available for licensing. It's really tricky in New York um, because we get the licenses after everything. But I have worked, I work with Broadway licensing and theatrical rights worldwide. And I create a lot of the junior, what we call uh, JV or Young at Part products, which is either a high school version or a 90 or a 60 minute um, version of shows like Adam's Family and Emma and Cyrano and uh, Curtains. And we've created all of these young versions of these shows. And so it's been really fun getting to do those. You, well. you have so much incredible energy, which I so admire. So like, what, what, what do you need in the morning? Is it a cup of coffee? Is it a spin class that your husband teaches at Equinox? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> which no. I've been to a few times. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't take any of James's classes, but you should, if you're listening, when Equinox is back, take all of James Donovan's classes they're great. But um, I, um, no, I, I have just energy. I'm an energetic person. I have a very young spirit in, in so many ways. Um, I don't need a lot of caffeine. I will have a cup of coffee in the morning, but um, I have a lot of energy. I, uh, I love this job. So it's not that hard to do. It's not that um, it's at the end of the day, summer's really tricky. We do a different summer intensive every week, which are amazing. Some of them ha are capped at like 48 kids our biggest one has about 80 kids, teenagers in it from all around the world. Um, that's a lot of work week after week after week of the summer, but it's how this business sustains itself because there are a lot of times a year we can't make money like that. And so we, summer is our big time and um, it's exhausting. And I cry a couple of days of summer. I'm like, I can't start another one of these, but then I'm in the room with these kids and they're all there. They want to be there. They have their binders and their songs and they've been working for this. And it's hard not to be energetic energetic about that. It's hard to not honor their parents' financial commitment to letting their kids do this. And that's where I'm saying I lacked, I didn't have that. They, these ex opportunities just didn't exist. To work with, to me, was like my Judy Kuhn, to be in the room. 
could I have imagined being 16 years old sitting in a room with Judy Kuhn teaching a masterclass? Like I'm freaking out about the thought of that tonight, if that yeah. was happening. Yeah, Where it's, it's like true. these kids are working with their versions of what was Rebecca Luker, Judy Kuhn, you know, for me, uh, the the people I were was obsessed with listening to that they're getting to work with their versions of that, which are like Erica Henningsen and Sierra Bogus and Christy Altimore. And uh, they're all teaching our workshops and they're amazing at it. And they get to, these kids get to sing for their idols and get feedback and coaching. And so um, I can't help but be excited about creating those opportunities for these kids. Oh, so nice, Mark. Well, it's so nice to see you, to see you. You quote too. Unquote. And um, when all is back up and running, I'm dying to, to be a guest on yours. Oh, um, I'd love to have you. We're, we're on a little hiatus, but I'm getting, when, yeah, getting back when, into when it. You're back into it. Where can we find you? And, um, and also, um, you know, I, I always encourage the parents, especially for the summer stuff, to take a look way in advance to book their spot. But where can people find you? And you also are just phenomenal on Instagram, which I, I am just working so hard to learn how to even post a story. Um, so where can we find you? So um, to find me personally, you can go to Mark, Mark Tuminelli, M-A-R-C-T-U-M-M-I-N-E-L-L-I, at um, Instagram and all that. But um, Broadway Workshop, as we have an amazing Instagram, um, we have 14,000 followers. We try to really give some great content every day. And that is also my staff, Yvette Kojic and Sarah Glugach um, help so much with that. And um, uh, you can find us at broadwayworkshop.com. You can find us on Twitter. It just Broadway Workshop everywhere. You'll find us. Facebook is also a big place for us still with Broadway Workshop. So go to Broadway Workshop on Facebook. Um, we try to create, we put our, all of our classes on Instagram first and sometimes they sell out there. Right. Um, because the kids are all on Instagram. Yeah. We're doing yeah. a lot of online workshops now, obviously, and they've been selling before I can even announce them to my email list because I'm keeping them small. I feel like eight kids is all you can really have in a zoom class without being bored out of your mind. So they were keeping them really small and keeping them under around 90 or $80 to keep them affordable in this time. Um, so check out probably workshop com get on the mailing list go to instagram at broadway workshop and uh you know keep following us and and uh hear what we're doing next and camp is still on sale friends yeah um, good good to know and so, i want to thank you you've yeah. been very kind to jen rudin casting letting me sell books at the broadway oh my God, i you know i love your book like i <laughs> it's right there i take it out all the time and i'm using it so much now in my online coaching because you know, people are like, what else can I do? And I'm like, go get this book. Yeah, um, I found your book so helpful because it's written from the same place I run my business out of like, how can I serve? How can I help the community? And there's no question when I read your book and that when we talked about it for the months leading up to it, that it was from a place of how can I serve? Yes. And you cannot deny what that feeling is. Not how can I make money? Not how can I make this, you know, how can I squeeze everybody into this class? It's like, how can I help these people? And by doing that, you will create money, you will create job opportunities, and you will create a family that will continue to follow you and want to do everything that Jen Rudin is doing and everything Mark Tuminelli is doing. And so that is, that is the thing to lead with. How can you help the community and how can you do things that will create opportunity and educate the next generation of performing artists Thank and Jen you. and you have done that. Oh, you're very sweet. Well, my mother says hello. That's I a whole other mother. podcast episode. Um, thank you so much, Mark, for your time and um, Broadway workshop folks. Thanks for listening. And I will now stop our recording. Yay.
For more episodes of Confessions of a Casting Director, go to jenrudencasting.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcast fix. And please subscribe, rate, and review and tell your friends about our show. We've got a bunch of fun online classes for young actors in voiceover and animation, TV acting analysis, and monologues at reduced prices during the pandemic. So you can check them out and sign up at jenrudencasting.com slash classes dash coaching. And if you love this show as much as I love doing it, please consider supporting us with a contribution to keep our show going. You can contribute at jenrudencasting.com slash podcast and support us through Patreon or PayPal. Thanks for listening. <laughs>